Lesson 3 for January 14 through to 20, The Divinity of the Holy Spirit. Sabbath afternoon, January 14. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you are who you are, that we have the hope of eternal life. And as we look this week into the Scriptures and see what they say about the divinity of the Holy Spirit, we pray that you will be there through the Spirit to guide us and to bless us. And may this be a rich week for each of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let's read that again, 2 Corinthians 13 verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. All through the Bible, the deity of God the Father is simply assumed. We find this truth expressed both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. It is one of the most crucial and foundational of the many revealed truths in the Word of God. The deity of Jesus also is affirmed in many places in Scripture, especially, of course, in the New Testament, both in the Gospels and the Epistles. However, the deity of the Holy Spirit is taught in more subtle terms. It can be inferred from various indirect biblical statements. Here we need to compare Scripture with Scripture in order to study carefully what God has revealed in His Word about the Holy Spirit. In doing so, we should not affirm less than what Scripture states, and we also should not exceed what is written as it says in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 6. This topic demands a teachable attitude of humility. We should not make our human reasoning about God the standard of how the Holy Spirit should be understood. Instead, we should accept and testify to what Scripture affirms, no matter how hard some of the concepts might be for us to grasp fully. Sunday, January 15, The Holy Spirit and God The Bible does not present a systematic description of the divinity of the Holy Spirit. Instead, we find interesting traces that indicate that the biblical writers considered the Holy Spirit to be equal with God. There are several biblical passages where the same activity is attributed to God and then also to the Holy Spirit. First of all, let's read Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through to 4. What can we conclude about God and the Holy Spirit from Peter's words to Ananias? Acts chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias... Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. 
If the Holy Spirit were not God, then Peter would have been speaking here in a very careless and fatally misleading manner. The interesting aspect about the nature of the Holy Spirit, however, is the fact that the Apostle Peter puts God and the Holy Spirit on the same level. In Acts 5 verse 3, he asks Ananias why he has lied to the Holy Spirit, and he continues at the end in verse 4, You have not lied to men, but to God. Peter clearly equates the Holy Spirit with God. His point is that Ananias was lying not just to the apostles, but to God himself. Lying to the Holy Spirit is lying to God. The Holy Spirit is God. The point is made here very clearly. Why such a harsh punishment for what these two people did? We must remember that the believers of the early church in Acts were, as it says in chapter 4, verse 32, one in heart and mind. This unity was a product of the Holy Spirit, and this is the reason they voluntarily and freely shared what they possessed. To lie with regard to the sharing was to deny the unity of the community and to belie the spirit that undergirded that unity and made it possible. This is why the lie of Ananias and his wife falsified the divine work and presence of the Holy Spirit in the early church community. Such dishonesty toward God is destructive and hinders the Spirit of God from working effectively in the lives of believers. God wants us to serve Him undividedly. Because the new faith community was at a crucial juncture, God used drastic consequences to make sure that the new church would work in unison and truthfulness with one another and be willing to be led by His Spirit. And so to finish today... Think how easily Ananias and Sapphira may have justified their sin. After all, haven't we sold our own property and given some of it to the church? What's the big deal if we keep a little? What would this story tell us about how careful we need to be regarding how we justify our actions? Monday, January 16. The Holy Spirit's Divine Attributes In several Bible passages, the Holy Spirit is described as having divine attributes. Question. What attributes and activities of the Holy Spirit are listed in the following Bible verses that otherwise can be attributed only to God? First of all, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, and compare that with Isaiah 40, verses 13 and 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so... No one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. And we're going to compare that with Isaiah 40, beginning at verse 13. Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? Or as his counsellor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel, and who instructed him? And taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? And then Psalm 139 
and verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? And Hebrews 9.14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who, through the eternal Spirit, offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And we're going to compare that with 1 Timothy 6.16, Who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honour and everlasting power. Amen. And Luke one thirty five reads, And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And Romans 15.19, In mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And we're going to compare that with Psalm 104 and verse 30. You sent forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. In his examination of the wisdom of God, Paul argues that it is the Holy Spirit who makes this wisdom known to us. Like knows like is the reasoning Paul employs here in the argument. Only one who is equal to God can know the deep things of God, as it said in 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11. There is no knowing God as does the Spirit, for He knows God from the inside. He knows in a way that an outsider does not. The Holy Spirit is indeed omniscient. The presence of the Spirit is the presence of God. If I cannot flee to a place where the Spirit of God is not, He is omnipresent, as we read in Psalm 139, verse 7. The Holy Spirit is said to be eternal in Hebrews 9.14. According to the Bible, how many eternal things are there? Only God is eternal, it told us in 1 Timothy 6.16. If the Spirit is called eternal, then He must be God. The Holy Spirit also is all-powerful or almighty. In Luke one thirty-five, the phrases the Holy Spirit and the power of the Most High are synonymous constructions. Here they refer to a miracle of the first magnitude, the virgin conception. In Romans 15.9, the Apostle Paul acknowledges that his spirit was achieved by mighty wonders and signs by the power of the Spirit of God. Indeed, the Holy Spirit can do divine miracles. Jesus also says that blasphemy against the Spirit is unforgivable in Matthew 12 and Mark 3. This is incomprehensible unless the Spirit is divine. But... Perhaps the most amazing work of the Holy Spirit is His ability to change human hearts and minds. It is the Holy Spirit who accomplishes a new spiritual birth, as we read in John 3, verses 5 to 8. Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And so to finish today, 
He, the Holy Spirit, has the power to accomplish something that only God can do. Tuesday, January 17, Biblical Hints There are various references to the Holy Spirit in the Bible that are interchangeable with references to God. Question. Read Isaiah chapter 63, 10-14 and compare it with Numbers 14-11 and Deuteronomy 32-12. To whom was the writer referring in these passages and what does this tell us about the divinity of the Holy Spirit? First of all, Isaiah 63, beginning at verse 10. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he turned himself against them as an enemy, and he fought against them. Then he remembered the days of old, Moses and his people, saying, Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherd of his flock? Where is he who put his Holy Spirit within them, who led them by the right hand of Moses with his glorious arm, dividing the water before them, to make for himself an everlasting name? Who led them through the deep, as a horse in the wilderness, that they might not stumble? As a beast goes down into the valley, and the Spirit of the Lord causes him to rest, so you lead your people." to make yourself a glorious name. And then we compare that with Numbers 14, verse 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? And Deuteronomy 32, verse 12. So the Lord alone led him, and there was no foreign God with him. In Isaiah 63.10, the people rebelled and grieved the Holy Spirit. However, the parallel account, as found in Numbers 14.11, states that the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people spurn me? And in Deuteronomy 33.12, we are told that the Lord alone guided him, and there was no foreign God with him. Obviously, the biblical writers saw God and the Holy Spirit on par with each other. In 2 Samuel 23.2, we read that the Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, whereas the parallel statement in the following verse, 2 Samuel 23.3, says, The God of Israel said to me. Again, the conclusion from this biblical parallel is that the Holy Spirit is considered to be equal with God. Question. Compare 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 with 1 Corinthians 6.19 and 20, and then compare 1 Corinthians 12.11 with 1 Corinthians 12.28. How are the references to the Holy Spirit and to God used interchangeably in these passages? What is attributed to God and to the Holy Spirit alike? First of all, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. And we're going to compare that with 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you are bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 
And then 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. And we compare that with 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 28. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, Paul uses similar language as in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. For the Apostle Paul to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit is to be inhabited by God. By equating the expression God's temple with a temple of the Holy Spirit, Paul points out that the Holy Spirit is God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11, Paul writes that it is the Holy Spirit who distributes the spiritual gifts to each believer. A few verses later in 1 Corinthians 12:28, we are told that it is God who is doing it. The basic message is clear. The Holy Spirit does the same action as God is doing. Powerful evidence that the Holy Spirit is equal to God. And so to finish today, read again Numbers 14.11. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me, and how long will they not believe me, with all the signs which I have performed among them? In what ways might this be applied to us today? Think about the miraculous ways God has worked in our church. Think about all the reasons he has given us to believe. How can we make sure we aren't doing today what God's people did thousands of years ago? Wednesday, January 18, Divine Work of the Holy Spirit The Holy Spirit performs certain works, which the Bible ascribes only to God. He is active in the divine work of the creation, and He is just as active in God's recreation of sinners. Question. Read Titus chapter 3, verses 4 to 6. How does Paul describe the involvement of the Holy Spirit in the process of recreation? Titus 3, beginning at verse 4, But when the kindness of the love of God our Saviour toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Saviour. The Holy Spirit is mentioned side by side with God our Saviour in verse 4, in the context of the washing of regeneration, baptism and our spiritual renewal in verse 5. He is the agent of our new birth. He renews our hearts. He awakens our desire to follow Christ. He is the Spirit of life, as it says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of, the, of sin and death. He is the one who sanctifies sinners and transforms our characters. He helps us to be obedient to Jesus Christ who saved us. Only a divine being is capable of such wonderful things. Question. 
compare Isaiah 6 verses 8 to 10 with Acts 28, 25 to 27, to whom do the biblical writers attribute the divine speaking? Reading from Isaiah 6 verse 8, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and be healed. And we're comparing that with Acts 28, verses 25 to 27. So, when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul, who said one word, The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them." There are several biblical passages in which, on the one hand, God is said to be speaking, and in which other biblical writers state that the Holy Spirit is said to be speaking. It is the Holy Spirit who supernaturally imparted the Holy Scriptures to us, as it says in Second Peter 1.21. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Something that elsewhere is described as God's inspiration in Second Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Giving the scriptures is another divine work of the Spirit. Question. What does Romans 8.11 teach us about the divinity of the Holy Spirit? Romans 8, verse 11, But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. The Bible states that the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead and will also raise us. Only God has the power to raise people from the dead. Hence, the Holy Spirit is God. And so to finish the day, what are changes you can make that would cause you to be more open to the leading of the Holy Spirit? That is, what practices might be keeping you from clearly discerning His leading in your life? Thursday, January 19. The Importance of His Divinity What would be lost if the Holy Spirit were not God? If the Holy Spirit is not fully God, the implications for salvation and worship are serious. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is responsible for regenerating believers. He dwells in us and fills us. He renews our thinking and changes our characters. He has the power to resurrect He makes Christ's followers as God is, holy. If the Holy Spirit is not God, 
How can we be certain that he can do any of these things and do them in such a way that they are acceptable to God? Question. Read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, and 2 Corinthians 13, 14, and Matthew 28, 18, and 19. What does the fact that the Holy Spirit is mentioned side by side with God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son in baptism and benedictions tell us about the place of the Holy Spirit in the adoration and worship of God? First of all, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit by obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. And Second Corinthians 13 verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. And Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen, and 19. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The divinity of the Holy Spirit helps us to relate to him in appropriate ways that acknowledge him for who he truly is. His divinity is the presupposition for a God-centered spirituality. The New Testament church, without hesitation, mentions the Holy Spirit side by side with the other two members of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit occupies the same rank and position in the act of baptism as do the Father and the Son. Baptism has a deep spiritual significance and is an ordinance of profound worship. What is true in the act of baptism is equally true of the apostolic benediction. It is an invocation of adoration where the Holy Spirit is praised just as are the Father and the Son. All three persons of the Godhead are mentioned side by side and are affirmed equally. The Holy Spirit is affirmed as a proper object of worship in the New Testament, not just in baptism and in the apostolic benediction, but also in the constant requirement that we depend on him for all spiritual good and should obey him as our divine teacher and sanctifier. Does it matter that the Holy Spirit is God? Yes, very much so. If we know who he truly is and recognize and acknowledge his deity, we will honor his work and rely on him for our own personal growth and sanctification. And so to finish today, Think about what it means that the Holy Spirit, God himself, is working in your life. What great promises are found here for us in knowing that it is God who is working in us to change us into what we can be in him. Why is this an uplifting and affirming truth? Friday, January 20. As we have seen this week, the biblical evidence for the divinity of the Holy Spirit is very convincing. The Holy Spirit is God, but remember, in thinking about the Holy Spirit, we are dealing with a divine mystery. 
we reiterate the point. Just as we cannot fully explain God and his nature, we have to resist the temptation to make our human comprehension the norm for how God should be. Truth goes far beyond human comprehension, especially when that truth deals with the nature of God himself. At the same time, faith in the divinity of the Holy Spirit means more than accepting the bare teaching of the Trinity. It includes reliance on and confidence in the saving work of God as it is commissioned by the Father and accomplished through the Son in the power of the Spirit. As Ellen White writes in the Acts of the Apostles, page 51 and 52, it is not essential for us to be able to define just what the Holy Spirit is. The nature of the Holy Spirit is a mystery. Men cannot explain it because the Lord has not revealed it to them. Men, having fanciful views, may bring together passages of Scripture and put a human construction on them, but the acceptance of these views will not strengthen the Church. Regarding such mysteries, which are too deep for human understanding, silence is golden. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. One, Austrian philosopher Ludwig Wittgenstein once wrote, What we cannot speak about we must pass over in silence. Though his context was quite different from what Ellen White wrote about, the principle is the same. That is, why is it better to keep silent about aspects of God and of spiritual truth in general that have not been revealed by inspiration? Two, sometimes it is helpful to reflect upon a theological position by asking the question, what would be lost if the proposal were untrue? For instance, what would be lost if Christ were not divine? With regard to the Holy Spirit, reflecting on the question, what would be lost if the Holy Spirit were not fully God? And question three, what does the following quote say to us on a practical level? The Holy Spirit, who is to fill us, is not some vague influence or mystic force. He is a divine person to be received with deep humility, veneration and obedience. Therefore, it is not a question of our having more of him, but of his having more of us. Yes, all there is of us. And that's from The Coming of the Comforter, page 159, written by Leroy Edwin Froome. Inside Story our mission story this week is titled Finding God's Plan, Part 1. Rosa, take a look at this, Grandmother said as she gave Rosa a colourful pamphlet. It's an invitation to a series of lectures about the Bible. You should go. You might learn something interesting. Grandmother knew that Rosa, who was preparing to become a teacher, was interested in religious things. She was active in her parents' church in Poland and even volunteered as a youth leader, though she wasn't much older than the youth she led. Her parents were proud of her involvement with the church and of her other accomplishments. Rosa took the pamphlet from her grandmother and looked closely at the colourful pictures on the front. She read the invitation and decided to attend the lectures. 
she was curious about what she might learn. Rosa found a seat and settled down for the lecture. She met a young man at the lectures who was about her age. As they became acquainted, he invited her to attend a summer Bible camp that the church sponsored. Rosa decided to go. She was curious about this church that seemed to know so much about the Bible. When she arrived at the Seventh-day Adventist youth camp, Rosa was a bit nervous about being among so many strangers. But the young man who had invited her introduced her to several young people from her hometown. She liked making new friends and soon found herself enjoying the fellowship at the Bible camp as much as the Bible studies. When Rosa returned home, she started attending the Adventist church every Sabbath. She knew that her parents wouldn't be happy that she was attending a new church, so she didn't tell them where she was going on Sabbath morning. But soon her excitement about what she was learning spilled over, and she told her mother everything she had learned at Bible camp and church. She told her mother that smoking was not healthy and urged her to quit. Rosa also explained what she had learned about having a personal relationship with Jesus. We don't have to confess our sins to a priest, she told her mother. Just tell God. Rosa's revelation worried her mother. Why do you want to get involved in some strange church? she asked. We have a perfectly good church. But these people really love Jesus, Rosa explained. They follow the Bible. I want to learn what God teaches. If you insist on becoming an Adventist, her mother said with a sigh, don't expect any financial support from me. And this story is to be continued in next week's Inside Story. Have a great Sabbath. This lesson has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired. It is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel. Remember, God is always faithful.